Welcome to episode 14 of the F1 Show for the 2007 Turkish Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau. And after a three-week summer vacation, Formula One is back in Turkey. Yes, and in the blazing Istanbul heat, Brazil's favorite racing son, Felipe Massa, wins the Turkish Grand Prix. And he did so from pole, despite carrying more fuel than his Ferrari teammate Kimi Raikkonen in qualifying. Raikkonen kept pressure on Massa throughout the race and completed a Ferrari 1-2 finish. Alonso quietly drove to the third spot on the podium with a solid but uninspired drive for McLaren. Nick Heidfeld captured the fourth spot and added to BMW's impressive tally in points for the team's sophomore season. Hamilton, after a mid-race tire failure, managed fifth place and four points, which is enough to hold on to his championship lead. Heike Kovalainen was close behind in sixth and continues to help Renault save face. Nico Rosberg put in another impressive drive for Williams Toyota, collecting two points for seventh, and Robert Kubica snagged the last point, finishing eighth in his Beamer. Well, Jim, now we're uh, getting to the closing stages of this season already, and we're starting to look at championship points more and more. What do you think? Well, Hamilton's tire failure was really big for that. I mean, he was out, he, he made a sort of a poor start, and uh, was was going along there for a while, and you know having this tire failure, work, he's trying to work his way up and you know cycle through the pit stops. He was in third spot, keep you know sort of just lagging behind the Ferraris. He seemed like he just would lose a little bit of time on every lap, and uh, and then this just did nothing to help him. I put him, uh, you know, he dropped two spots from third down to fifth, having this tire puncture. And we actually don't really know what the cause of this is yet. Um, so there's some discussion with uh, Bridgestone trying to figure out if it was just a failure or just outright separated or uh, if it was a puncture or what. But uh, it definitely it definitely hurts the, the championship. But he's still got, what, seven points or something over uh, over his nearest rival. Five and, points now over yeah. Alonso. And uh, he says, you know, it's not over yet. They've, he's still in the lead, and, and he definitely can still make good on this. But uh, definitely some more chinks in the armor here. Yeah, well, what's interesting is... Still, none of this is really Hamilton's fault. These are just circumstances that Hamilton is running into, and he's still handling them extremely professionally. I mean, he had a he had a uh, right front tire failure on the car, but he was very composed, and he got the car cleanly to the pits. They made a change, and he only lost two places on the grid as a result. He was third place when it happened, and he ended up fifth. So he managed it very well. And uh, at the start of the race, I don't think it was him having a bad start so much as Raikkonen having such a good one. Yeah, and you know, just we could, we saw that uh, Hamilton did have a lot of fuel on board, so that was probably a big contributing factor. But it, it's worth noting the uh, the tire failure was on a big uh, left-hander complex, a turn eight complex, which is actually a four apex left-hander. So for him to go off and have this right front tire failure, it was very good of him not to try to steer the car into it and you know spin out and cause problems, but just to brake as much as he can in a straight line and then. So to see what's left of the tire and, and to limp around and actually make his way back, he did very well to keep the car under him with that. And he didn't even limp around, I mean, considering the circumstances. I mean, the pace was probably pretty close to the limit of the car considering the circumstances. So, yeah. I mean, he did a lot of things right here with a situation that was out of his control. So despite the fact that the championship is tightening, I mean, this is a rookie driver who is leading the championship and continues to make lemonade out of lemons. So... It's quite impressive. Yeah, and the guy who was catching up to him, Heki Kovalainen, had a great race and actually sort of showed that the Renault still has stuff for the rest of the field. I mean, he, uh, he was actually stuff. he was closing up on Hamilton, and the you know the commentators made a big deal about how it was an injured McLaren, if only just because uh, the, actually the only damage sustained from the tire puncture 
um, was the uh, breaking off one of the part of the end plate of the wing that actually channel the front wing on the McLaren that actually channels air uh, around the right front tire. So uh, the, Hamil- the Hamilton's car wasn't quite up to speed, and uh, Hoki Kovalainen tried to make the most of that by by catching up to him, and he did did close in on him in the closing laps, but not enough to get by him by any means. Yeah, and I would argue at the end of the day that that part probably doesn't make a huge amount of difference. Certainly. It's going to affect turbulence slightly, and it's going to affect the overall arrow of the car. But I bet you at the end of the day, Hamilton's lap times were pretty similar. Yeah, but, I mean, you've got to imagine they spend, you know, millions and millions of dollars getting every little square inch of that car just right. And, and you know, for it to, to get all mixed up like that, it's uh, it definitely is going to affect the balance of things. And But, again, Hamilton sort of did his best, and, and he's felt out the car and actually got faster and faster as he regained confidence in the car and figured out what it could and couldn't do. So, uh, you know, good for him to, to keep the car under him because I think lesser drivers could have uh, definitely gotten rid of that. But let's try to talk about Heike Kovalainen for a second, uh, <laughs> who's, you know, just, just back and, and, you know, it's getting to the point in the season where everyone's looking to next year and who's going to be where. And Fisichella, his teammate at Renault, um, did a pretty poor job. He ended up spinning out uh, Yarno Trulli. In the, I think on, I think poopy is the word you're going for. Poopy, maybe may excessively a, Italian poop. Yeah, um, spun out his uh, his countryman Yarno Trulli in the first turn of the race, which then you know caused a bunch of other guys to have to slow down to get around him. And uh, you know, Fisichella is just looking worse and worse, and and Kovalainen is really proving himself as you know solid and confident, which he wasn't at the beginning of the season. So he's really lining himself up well for next year and. Whether he stays at Renault as the top driver or, you know, moves somewhere else remains to be seen so far. But, uh, I mean, Kovalainen has really done a great job. He has, and I think it took him a good half season to get comfortable in his role as F1 driver as opposed to just test driver and to get comfortable with the media and everything else. But now that he's doing that, he's proving to be more and more the driver that a lot of people expected of him. I mean, he came into the championship with huge expectations. He was coming into the reigning championship car. You know, the, he was taking the seat that Alonso left, and he was supposed to be a huge rookie sensation, every bit as much so, if not more so, than Hamilton. Yeah, he probably got actually more, had higher expectations set upon him than um, were set upon Lewis Hamilton, because Lewis Hamilton was more of an unknown uh, coming up, especially in the U.S. Uh, we really hadn't heard about him, but um, Heike Kovalainen had, a, had sort of, you know, more going for him, and, uh, you know, to, for Lewis has obviously just exploded, but I think, you know, Kovalainen is still moving up in the, in the ranks here and, and could definitely turn out to do some really amazing things in the next couple of years. Yeah, he's definitely gaining respect of a lot of teams and the other drivers for sure, but I want to briefly go back to the point about the, uh, injured car of Lewis Hamilton. I mean, we've seen this before, uh, where they, you know, they do spend millions of dollars in the, in the, um, aerodynamics and everything else, making the wings just so and having little flugels here and there. And then you see entire side pods knocked off and the drivers go faster and faster because at the end of the day, if a driver is just pumped up with adrenaline, he finds a way for that car to go quickly. Yeah, I definitely say that in, uh, in rally racing among, among oh. other sports <laughs> where the cars are set up just right and then they're driving literally with no front bumper at all. And, you know, with a Formula One car, there's only so many parts that can come off with and the a car muffler still dragging works. and maybe a wheel missing yeah, somewhere off three wheels. Two, two sections ago. But, uh, and I remember that, you know, years ago, a couple years ago with, uh, you know, Michael Schumacher and Rubens Barrichello at Ferrari, they would lose barge boards fairly regularly. Oh, yeah. And sometimes the cars actually went faster and there's sort of some debate as to whether, uh, you know, what those actually did. And, and how those really affected things, but um, but anyway, it's you know it, it clearly slowed him down a little bit, slowed down Lewis Hamilton to have that piece missing. But um, it's sort of hard to quantify exactly how much, looking at the lap times before and after, because you know this, his confidence is shaken and he's sort of in a different spot on track. And there's so many other factors, but you know, good for him to make the most of it. And uh, in contrast, like you said, Fernando Alonso just really didn't 
didn't amaze anybody today. I mean, he uh, he lost two points in turn or two uh, grid spots in turn one. I mean, he was passed on the outside by both BMWs, and he started in fourth. He was the back marker of the top tier, if you will. You yeah. know, there's that top four that are always kind of vying for the pole, and he was kind of a distance fourth there. And and at the start of the race, he lost he lost grid position to both BMW Sobers. And had nothing for them until they finally, until the BMW Saubers finally pitted. Yeah, it looked like he, he'd definitely caught up to Nick Heidfeld and had a couple of goes at uh, getting around him, but couldn't make it work. Uh, and then ended up passing them in the pits when uh, you know they, the BMWs peeled off to take pit stops, and, and Alonso got by that way, but actually couldn't pass him on track. And uh, you know it's also worth not- noting this is his hundredth Grand Prix, and uh, I mean especially working his way up the ranks, he was you know the youngest driver ever to win a Formula One. Um, race and youngest to win a uh, world championship and then two consecutive championships and um all these different all these different things and it's like to see him you know languishing right now i mean he's second spot in the uh in the driver's championship now but um to see yeah, i'm him, not sure languishing is quite well, the word but. but he's you know he's complaining more and more about he doesn't feel welcome at mclaren and he's felt you know he says oh i've brought so much pace to the team and they've got me giving me nothing for it and you know there's this except whole, you know seven figure salary yeah eight figures yeah and uh you know and then this whole i think the i think the media has made a bigger deal than reality about uh the the controversy between Hamilton and Alonso but we should at least mention that uh as we did last weekend but uh or i guess 3 weeks ago that was last race um <laughs> but uh where they had their those little falling out and the media just has been a huge uh deal of it in the interim um where the team has come out with statements saying oh no everything is fine and they had this whole big you know meeting on a yacht to try to sort everything out and Work everything well, and, and one that's thing, that's where Jim and I sort out most of our issues. Between we try to F1 find a two hundred thirty-five foot yacht. You know, we just go to the meeting on the yacht and and say we need to hash this out. You know, over the Mediterranean. Yeah, and it's it's a good way to go, but which uh, actually does hit Livonia. Most people don't know that. Oh yeah, yeah, and McLaren has come out with a, a they had a public truce between the drivers, which to me just seems which like is a totally lame, a stupid bit of publicity, and because everyone just reads in, reads between the lines on that and says, oh, they've said they have a truce, but do they really? So. I just, you know, they seemed civil enough for this race. You know, I'm sure they're everyone, they knew everyone's watching them. But one interesting development was that during qualifying, which is where all this started to unfold uh, in the last race, um, McLaren had two separate pit stalls, one for each driver, so that even if the scheduling worked out such that they both came in at the same time, which I'm sure they tried to avoid, they would have had a pit stall for each car. Now, they can't do that during the race, but they did have separate pit stalls for qualifying just to avoid any possible you know, confusion or whatever conspiracy theories or whatever going on. Which just goes to show that it's not all hunky-dory because if it was all hunky-dory, they'd be able to do things as usual. And the other thing, it, it still bothers me that you know this whole Alonzo controversy started when Alonzo allegedly, this is a little on-order action here, allegedly held up Hamilton on purpose. We don't know that for sure. That's what most people think. Uh, he was in the pit stall, and Hamilton was waiting right behind, and uh, he just was there for another 10 seconds. I still don't understand why didn't anyone tell him to go, and did he really defy everyone if they did tell him to go? You yeah, know what I'm saying? It, it just seemed it, it doesn't hasn't really up. been cleared up as to this is this is what actually happened. You know, the sequence of events of did you know was he told on the radio, and did he actually stop that, or you know if he wanted to. If, if he just wanted to, you know, get out and track on the right spot, why didn't he move ahead by a two car lengths and wait there for another ten seconds and then go off? You know, just there, there's a lot of sort of still unanswered questions, and I don't know if they're maybe not answering those on purpose because it is sort of a malicious thing. But I, they, I mean, I'm sure the team at this point is just trying to put all this past them, and uh, you know, they're still, um, you know, uh, just disputing the uh, the loss of constructor points for that race and. 
Um, that is actually you know, turning out to make a bigger difference than I originally thought in the championship now that there's only 11 points between the two, between uh, Ferrari and McLaren in the How quickly things change. Yeah, really. So And oh. Monza's coming up next weekend, which is a traditionally strong race for Ferrari. Yeah, that's going to be huge. We should talk about that for a second. I mean, Ferrari going into that race with a 1-2, it's in Italy, which, I mean, you can't get any better for the Italian fans. Yeah. And they're just... And it's all motor. And yeah. Ferrari's all about motor. And so it's it's just going to be, you know, I think just huge for all the Ferrari fans. And, and if not, all just the energy and the adrenaline from the crowd should be able to transfer into some some speed for the Ferrari guys. And hopefully the McLarens can try to steal something from them and, and keep things interesting here. But, uh, I mean, they really are going to have the odds stacked against the McLaren. Well, well, this is an impressive race no matter what the outcome is. But let me, let me give you a reason why Ferrari's so good. Ferrari, for several years now, has always had one of the strongest engines in the F1 grid. Now, Monza is the fastest race on the calendar. It has been for years. They average, this is average speed of over 160 miles an hour. So if you can kind of wrap it around your head, they average more than double the speeds of the highway systems in the States. So they're just cooking. They're, they're on the throttle over 70% of the time, full throttle. It's, it's just a crazy place. So, you know, basically you trim out as much uh, downforce as you can, you make the car slippery as possible, and you get as much power out of the engine as you can, and that's who wins the race. Yeah, we'll have to see, but I'm still, I'm still hoping you know, McLaren and Hamilton can, can make something happen there, especially on Ferrari's home turf, because that would make it even sweeter for the McLarens if you know, Hamilton could come out with a victory there and really just hit them where it hurts. Well, speaking of Ferrari, uh, we did happen to have a Ferrari 1-2 today, led by young Felipe Massa, and, you know... Both you and I have been kind of giving him uh, flack for seeming to get more emotional and not really, not really being on his A game for racing. Well, I mean, he shut us both up today. Yeah, it was uh, sort of a, a Lewis Hamilton-ish uh, performance. I mean, you start on pole <laughs> and you lead all the laps. It's kind of it's, it's almost not impressive just because you weren't working your way through the field. But you got to give him credit for staying out there and and you know a little bit of luck and a lot of lot of skill going in there and just driving a solid race. At the beginning, Kimi Raikkonen was was right up on him for uh, for a number of laps, but then just sort of you know held back and and just dropped back a little bit and a little bit. And we all sort of figured, okay, well, once Felipe pulls in, uh, Raikkonen will just keep going an extra couple of laps. He must, he must be on higher fuel. And then Raikkonen pit first and showed us wrong. So uh, it's, yeah. you know, good job, good job, uh, Massa, to, to do that. That's what impressed me the most because Raikkonen very often has more fuel than any of the other top drivers, McLarens and Ferrari. And he was, he was the lightest one of the four today. And I was really surprised by that because Raikkonen was only third on the grid. And Massa had a lot of fuel on board. He drove, he was very controlled, yet very fast. I mean, he had command of the race the entire time, despite the fact that uh, Raikkonen put a lot of pressure on him. So he had the pole, he had the win, he did not get fastest lap. Yeah, and actually, uh, I was going to mention that, Felipe Massa's fastest lap was uh, 127.922, and Kimi Raikkonen, on the second-to-last lap, put in a 127.295. So it's like six-tenths of a second faster than Felipe's fastest lap, just to sort of... Drive the point home, I guess. <laughs> well, this kind of goes to something. I mean, this has been it's kind of a debate for a while that, well, Raikkonen's the superstar. Raikkonen's this fast, amazing driver, and he's worth all these millions and millions of dollars. He gets $25 million a year, whatever it is. But he seems to be so inconsistent. I mean, he has this speed that just seems like just about no one can match, but... It, it it doesn't come out through an entire race, or it's not put together over a weekend, or it's not put together over a season, and it just seems a little bit a little bit too. He has these like moments of utter brilliance, 
but then these other drivers is just a little bit more consistent. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it's it seems like he can't hold together um his he can't utilize his natural talent enough to put together a consistent championship run. Yeah, it seems like we're either praising him or damning him at at, at the end of a, a race weekend. It's like, you know, Felipe did amazing and won from pole or just kind of languished around or is a whiny something or other. But uh yeah, I mean it's he's you know, third spot in the championship. He's got sixty nine points, uh behind Fernando's seventy nine and Lewis Hamilton's eighty four points. So he's definitely still in contention with five races to go. Um and it also noting uh Felipe Massa has one more point than Kimi Raikkonen now. So he has sort of passed him in the championship and for whatever that means. And uh you know, it's which they've just sort of been going back and forth, but um, I'm sure having this win and, and going into uh, Monza, we'll have to see, you know, the, the Felipe Kimi battle because hopefully both Ferraris will be on top form for that race. And uh, you know, I'm sure Ferrari's going to do everything they can to just really get it, get the setup just right for Monza. And we'll have to see who comes out on top uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Now to the mid pack, a couple of uh, drives impressed me. We already talked about Kovalainen a little bit, but another person that I think deserves praise is Nico Rosberg. You know, second youngest driver on the grid, uh, was the youngest until Vettel took the seat from, uh, Scott Speed last week in Hungary, or last race in Hungary. And he put in, he was seventh place today. He's far quicker than his teammate Alexander Vertz. And I think he's the only one that's keeping that Williams team in the mid pack as opposed to being really one of the back markers. Yeah, it's, he never really broke out like we really thought he would. I mean, after his brilliant, uh, Nico Rosberg we're talking about here, after his brilliant start at the beginning of last year, uh, and then he sort of just has been mid pack and whether it's been car trouble or driver issues, he's had a, a bunch of, uh, disappointing failures in the last couple of races, but, uh, we just, you know, maybe, maybe he needs to switch teams and move up a rung or, or something, but, uh, he's definitely shown that he's a still a solid driver and, and can, you know, work with, uh, the best of them there in the mid-pack. And, uh, you know, certainly done a lot better than some of the other mid-pack drivers. Um, while you're on Sebastian Vettel for a moment, I want to mention, you know, this race now too, he's, uh, slower. We're Scott Speed fans. Let's, let's get that point out first. Yeah. Um, you know, he's slower than, uh, Tony Liuzzi and Scott Speed and, and, you know, quite a bit so. And Scott Speed was always at least on par with Liuzzi and oftentimes, uh, qualified and, and finished a bit better. So, you know, whether uh, Scuderia Toro Rosso's decision to can Scott Speed was actually about speed, um, you know, I think it was more about Scott Speed than about actual speed on track, and and this is sort of you know proving that. And yeah, Sebastian Vettel, this is only his second race in this car, but and he's 19, and he looks like he's 12. Yeah, he's definitely got that going against him. But you know, really thought if if this if you know making a driver change mid-season like that um, was really for performance benefit, where's the performance benefit? And <laughs> Speaking of slow drivers, uh, Ralph Schumacher this weekend um, came out with this awesome uh, statement where he says, oh, if I had qualified better, I would have gotten more points. Um, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> so, oh, man. yeah, he qualified, that guy's awesome. he qualified 18th. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he said he's had three uh, consecutive Grand Prix top 10 finishes in the last, the last three races. And he basically said, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not happy with the result. Um, well, he's got Michael Schumacher's confidence anyway. I don't know about driving skill. <laughs> I mean, this guy is nuts. I mean, if 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 it's not traffic, it's the fact that you know he, last time he qualified, you know, he qualified poorly because of traffic. Traffic was in the way. Well, guess what? Every other person also has traffic in qualifying. And then it's like, oh well, I would have done better if I qualified better. Yeah, that's why every other driver qualified better. This yeah. guy qualified 18th. He was out in the first round. His teammate qualified eighth. Same car, and. 
According to Toyota, that car was set up more to Ralph Schumacher's liking than Truly's. Yeah, I mean, he finished in 16th. So, you know, with one car out and Mark Webber and, uh, you know, just the rest of the shuffling around, he basically made up one spot over the course of the race. Uh, the direct quote from Ralph Schumacher is, If our result in qualifying had been better, we would have been able to score points. We can definitely expect to fight for points in the remaining races starting at Monza in two weeks. Again, this is Schumacher looking forward, saying, Oh, when we get the new car out, it'll be great. Or, Oh, once we get the new suspension, it'll be great. And, Oh, once, I don't know, I stop sucking, I'll be great. And on a very related note, um, he has put a call into Scuderia Toro Rosso. Uh, Gerhard Berger, uh, the co-owner of, of STR, um, revealed into, into the media that, you know, Ralph Schumacher definitely realizes his future is limited at Toyota and making calls around. So um, Schumacher has said if there's a chance he can continue in Toyota, he wants to do that, but he's definitely looking, uh, you know, considering his options and looking around. So I don't know that's well, what that means. And I'm happy to report that I don't think Toro Rosso is going to be interested because last week it was announced that our American boy, well, he's French, but he's been racing in America for a few years, Sebastian Bourdais is signed for Toro Rosso starting in 2008. Formula now, now, if you don't know who Sebastian Bourdais was, he won, I believe it was the 2001 uh, Formula 3000 championship, which at that time was the feeder series to Formula 1. He had a deal with an Air, the Arrows F1 team, but then Arrows F1 team folded, and long story short, he ended up at Newman Haas Racing, racing champ cars here in the United States. He went on to win three straight champ car titles. He's in line to win his fourth this year. I mean, he's been just brilliant in champ car. He's just very, brilliant. very consistent, very well, you know, setting up the car, just very professional driver. And one of these guys that really just, you, you know, I really think he would have what it takes, although he's getting kind of old. He, well, he's 28 now, but, I mean, this is a guy that more or less neutered Paul Tracy. And, I mean, <laughs> that on its own, no other stats, that's impressive. Yeah. And this guy is basically, he's done really well, and I think no one outside of Formula One deserves an F1 ride more than Bourdais. Although, um, and it'll be Team Sebastian next year. That'll be tight. Yeah, Sebastian Vettel and Sebastian Bourdais. Oh, what's that? Well, uh, I think I could get Sebastian Loeb in there, man. I get the, the, the Sebastian trifecta, because Sebastian Loeb is, is definitely very fast on anything with four wheels. Been, isn't there, like, some hair care product called Sebastian's Hair Care or something? You know, like I that? don't know, but that, that would be, that like, would a, be a solid, totally sweet sponsor. A very solid choice. But what's he going to be able to do in an STR, though? I mean, those cars are just, you know, they're back markers. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're... Well, he'll be able to do the same thing, potentially, that Mark Webber could do in a Minardi. He'd do better than the car then the car really should be able to do and maybe get notice of a better, stronger team and maybe... And then sort of languish in the mid-pack for a while and be out of the 2007 Turkish Grand Prix after a couple laps with a hydraulic problem? Well, you know, he's, you know, Weber's in Formula One and that's his deal. And Weber's kind of got this perpetual bad luck, but he's Australian, so he still has a good attitude about it, so that's cool. Okay. But I think, yeah, I think at the end of the day, Bourdais would rather languish in the mid-pack trying to make his money in Formula One than... You know, continue to dominate in champ. Cars. I mean, he, yeah, he's proven himself in champ cars. So I guess to to really challenge himself again, it'd be good. And and you know, we got to remember, uh, you know, at one point, you know, Fernando Alonso was was in a minority and all that. And you know, it's definitely you get into the back markers and, and make your mark and hopefully work your way up. But uh, I don't know. I mean, 28 years old. He's he's in his twilight years. You know, for, <laughs> for F1. So you really gotta, you know, get it done while you can. I guess, buddy. Well, I we have full support to Sebastian Bourdais. Sebastian Bourdais. I think he'll do very well. And, of course, I'm sure in his mind, he's looking to go to a top team in the next couple of years. Whether that's going to happen, I don't know. There's a huge long list of extremely good talent 
So we'll have to see how he fares in the F1 car compared to, you know, how he did in Champ Car. Yeah, that'll be interesting as we start to see the driver lineups for next year get into place and, uh, you know, just see who's who's switching around and who's not. And, and obviously one of the biggest ones is, is will Fernando Alonso stay at McLaren? Uh, it seems pretty clear that Lewis Hamilton will, um, but that would be, a, you know, a potentially really big shakeup getting someone else there in McLaren and uh, if they're going to still have the speed next year and all that. But uh, one, of the, one of the other uh, sort of big shakeups uh, from last year to this year is with Honda. And Jensen Button, actually, uh, he said he, it was, he started... Um, oh, man, where did he start today? He, he actually started, like, next to last or something. Way back. Yeah, and uh, he actually passed 10 cars uh, in the course of this race and ended up uh, 13th. So, uh, which tells you, uh, you know, he just, he said he had a lot of fun doing it, which is, it's good to see him have a a good attitude for once, because Button has definitely come out in the media before just saying, oh, a car is rubbish, and my team is doing nothing, and they're working, going backwards instead of forwards, and for him to actually sort of say, yeah, you know. And Barrichello's been saying much the same. Yeah. Not just Button. Yeah, and I mean, the car has been rubbish, but... uh, you know, to yeah, and it is true for him to, to at least have a good attitude about it. And I don't know what the what the change maybe it's because you know he wants to keep a drive for next year or whatever. But um, you know, to say yeah, hey, we pass in a lot of cars and it's actually more you know a little more fun working your way through the back. Where I'm sure Massa's race was fun because he won it, but he was you know really just you know lapping uh, for a long time and just defending. Where uh, you know getting around cars and and it's, we should say that the Hondas with Yarno uh, Truly sort of near the back of the trap back of the pack there. Has some pretty good battles going on. I mean, some passing and some repassing, and a couple of interesting moves, and you know, a little bit of battling going on. Sure, sure, but I mean, it's still it's so bloody sad. I mean, Honda. Then, yeah, that, I guess it's like 18th and 17th spot that they're yeah. fighting for. And where where was Super Gurry in all this? Anthony Davison qualified 11th. Yeah, and he just filled the car up with gas and uh, did a one-stop strategy. I mean, they they ended up doing pretty well. So I. It's, yeah, good for Sebastian, uh, good for Jensen Button to have a better attitude, and, and the car has been bad, and, you know, there's not much else for them to say, but yeah, the car's been bad, but boy, they are really running out of excuses here. I mean, this is not the smallest budget team or anything like this. I mean, if you're being destroyed by your customer car, something is wrong. You gotta make some changes, and they just seem to be, uh, coasting along, and I, it's, I don't get it. It's like they're, it's like they're in this nowhere land. It's the purgatory of F1. I don't get it. Yeah, they really just lost all kinds of pace, and now they're losing people. I mean, their head aerodynamicist, I guess, just left, and it's sort of, you know, is that team sort of falling apart or whatever? We'll see. But um, And then, you know, what new teams will come to take their place? There has been uh, some more discussions about uh, the ProDrive F1 team with David Richards, who used to be at uh, Honda when it was Bar Honda F1, and uh, he's been in talks with McLaren, so we're not sure what you know what exactly the connection will be there. Whether it will be a Pro Drive Mercedes or whether it will be a McLaren a chassis that the, you know if there'll be a customer car for uh, for chassis, and you know possibly use like uh, an old Cosworth engine as an Aston Martin. I mean, there's still a lot of options, and well, that's and all. This, in this comes with the new rules coming that it is okay to have a customer car. I mean, at this point currently, any team in the championship has to build their own car, and obviously. Uh, Toro Rosso and Red Bull and Honda and Super Guri have found some loopholes to that, having this third-party, you know, chassis builder nonsense. Like but Honda didn't build it. Honda F1 Technology.com built it, or whatever. Yes, exactly. And uh, Red Bull, Red Bull Aerodynamics built the car, which Red Bull Racing and Toro Rosso uses, or whatever the the names are. It's it's really it's these, you know, false subsidiaries that don't really exist. Yeah. But it's whatever. So customer cars are going to be actual actually legal so that that's that's where this comes from yeah so it's like you know maybe if all the brilliant guys from honda have left is it is honda still 
doing the right thing being an F1, or do they need to, you know, just shuffle around and, and change some things? And you know, we just got they got to figure something out because if they can't do another year like this, this is just, uh, you know, the company's so big that they're probably not really so worried about wasting the money, but just wasting the image. I mean, that's that's really why they're in F1 is to show that they can build good cars and, and have good, you know, racing technology and all that. And if they're just languishing around in the back and fighting for 17th. I mean, I guess, well, Jensen Button got at the 13th spot, we should say, which is a decent result for them. Only five points away from a point. Yeah, almost second point for five this year. Five positions away from a point, I should yeah, say. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that sucks for Honda. Maybe they can sort something out for the rest of the season, but I really, really doubt it. Maybe a couple more points, but uh, that sucks, guys. Yeah, too bad. Which I guess about wraps up our coverage for the Turkish Grand Prix. Yeah, give us some feedback. Also, we want to thank you guys. We have seen our, our numbers have exploded in the last couple of weeks. Oh, from yeah. a couple hundred viewers or listeners per, per episode, we're now up to like 2,500 people. So, uh, hey, let us know where you heard about us. If we got a mention on some, on some other show or whatever, we'd uh, be happy to hear both how you found out about us and what you think now that you've uh, downloaded our show. So Feedback, please. please. Yeah, send us uh, an email to feedback at f1show.com, or you can go right to our website at f1show.com. Right, and, be cool like Chris Vogel. Yeah, <laughs> send us a couple of comments. Thanks, Chris. But uh, yeah, you can reply right to the blog post there, and uh, if you you know raise any questions, we'll either answer them uh, in the in the blog there or on the show. And uh, definitely just you know feedback at f1show.com. Send us some feedback. Let us know uh, you know what you think, or if you have any questions. And if you're looking for any old episodes or want to uh, go back and prove us wrong on something or whatever, just hit up f1show.com. Uh, we've got all of our old episodes posted there. You can download everything um, and play it at your leisure. So until two weeks from now, where we'll be covering the Monza Italian Grand Prix, I'm Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner, and we're off to our yacht, because we have some issues to discuss. Hell yeah. <laughs> it just sounds so ridiculous. We well, had a meeting on a yacht to <laughs> this out, you know what I mean? I know, but I had to say something. Oh, fucking meeting on a yacht. Who has a meeting on a yacht? Just fucking of it. Formula One. Why don't they fucking meet on the the, the motorhome?